You know how every week I invite y'all to load up and head out with me? Well, this time, I mean it. I'm heading down to New Orleans, and I want y'all to come with me. There's ghosts and monsters and ragged tales aplenty down there. Today, we're loading up on the city of New Orleans, a train that runs from Chicago to, you guessed it, New Orleans. The city of New Orleans is long and silver. There's a definite chugga-chugga. And it's got that choo-choo. And every so often we'll come to a little town or a crossing and, and the city of New Orleans blows its one-note song over and over. Rain streaks on the window as we slide through the Mississippi Delta. And the train does all those other things you think it does, too. The city of New Orleans hisses and bucks. And if you're not careful, it'll take you down. I literally just watched an Australian man fall into a dining table. We got a ways to go yet, but when we get there, we're going to push through the tourists at Jackson Square, though we are going to stop for a drink with a ghost on the super touristy Bourbon Street. However, we're going to stray from the bright lights into the deeper recesses of the Crescent City. Alright, my name's Toby Sells. Let's climb aboard and head out down the tracks to our next stop, New Orleans, Louisiana, today on Haint Blues. New Orleans is unlike any other town in America. Maybe I've said that before already, but now that I'm here, reminders of its singularity are constant. Right now, I'm on the St. Charles streetcar line, sitting in the back of what most of America will call a trolley. But in New Orleans, it's a streetcar. The cars run on grassy strips of land in the median of two traffic lanes. And for some reason, New Orleanians call that grassy strip the neutral ground. Oh. And those people on the side of the road? In New Orleans, they're not walking on sidewalks, but banquettes. This streetcar is tall, wide, with simple curved lines plucked right out of the past. But it fits so perfectly into the context of modern New Orleans. The streetcars are old, but they mostly run on time. So it's a blend of tradition and modern utility, much like much of New Orleans culture. Old things, music, Recipes, architecture, still work. And they're adapted to modern times. Think of the way brass bands are embracing hip hop. And New Orleans takes that culture seriously. It's literally everywhere you look. Even the trees here along St. Charles are draped in Mardi Gras beads. And even that remnant from Mardi Gras parades is celebrated in pictures and film. And there's even a restaurant on St. Charles called The Beaded Oak. But this celebration of New Orleans singularity doesn't seem precious to me, you know, over-the-top cutesy. It just seems completely baked into everyday life. So, if the city has its own language, own music, own food, and everything else, it's little surprise that they have their own distinct paranormal traditions too. So, instead of just a werewolf, they have the Rougarou or the Lugarou. The Bigfoot down here is called the Honey Island Swamp Monster. And an 18th century serial killer 
one who called himself a demon and a devil, showed his pride in New Orleans culture in a very specific and very terrifying way. No discussion of New Orleans and the paranormal would be complete, however, without talking about ghosts. Some have called New Orleans the most haunted city in America. I guess New Orleans and Savannah can fight it out over that title. While you might not want to buy a haunted house, everyone wants to visit a haunted city, it seems. A dozen or so tour companies there in New Orleans each offer three or four different haunted tours every day. And while you might not advertise that your house is haunted if you're trying to sell it, New Orleans officials will talk about the city's ghosts to anyone who will listen. There's even a haunted itinerary page on the city's tourism website. That's where I found the ghost of lovable New Orleans pirate Jean Lafitte. As soon as I was squared away in my hotel, I lit out for Lafitte's blacksmith shop on a quieter stretch of Bourbon Street. Aside from its haunting inhabitants, the other thing that drew me to the bar was the fact that it's the oldest building in America ever to be used as a bar. This is what a Monday afternoon sounds like in the oldest bar in America. I'm at the darkest corner of Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop Bar. It's supposedly haunted, and here in the back corner, it looks haunted. It looks old. The structure goes back to 1722, and the ceilings are low and dark, and there's lots of brick and dark wood. And if John Lafitte and Andrew Jackson still come to haunt this bar, I can see why. I never did find Jean Lafitte or his brother Pierre in the bar, but employees and visitors have said they've seen the pirate during late night revelries. Glasses and bottles and silverware have reportedly flown off the bar unexpectedly. But if you can't find Jean Lafitte at his blacksmith shop, walk, maybe on the same route as Jean Lafitte did, over to the old absinthe house. The 200-year-old bar was where Lafitte would meet with then-General Andrew Jackson to discuss terms and plans for the Battle of New Orleans. Guests and employees said they've seen the ghosts of both at the bar. Doors open and close on their own, and those bottles and glasses will move too. Walk across the quarter to Arno's, the high-society restaurant, and you might catch a glimpse of a, a young girl in a, in a Mardi Gras gown. She's said to be the long-dead daughter of restaurant founder Arno Cazenavi. A Storyville madam haunts the Bombay Club. An insane and maybe murderous pharmacist haunts the pharmacy museum. Investigators have recorded electromagnetic activity, temperature changes, and electronic voice phenomena and more at an 1872 mansion called the Haunted Mortuary. St. Louis Cemetery No. 1 is a little creepy, even if it ain't haunted. There, you'll find the above-ground crypt of famed voodoo priestess Marie Laveau and the future tomb of actor Nicolas Cage, 
William Faulkner is said to still inhabit the French Quarter House where he wrote his first book. Employees of what is now called Faulkner House Books say they've seen the figure of the man and, and sometimes can smell his burning pot. An 1834 house fire led to the discovery of enslaved people chained up in Madame LaLaurie's torture chamber in her French Quarter mansion. Current owners say they'll sometimes see body imprints on, on beds no one has slept in. They'll see doors swinging shut and faucets turning on by themselves. Tennessee Williams wrote The Rose Tattoo at the Hotel Monleon. Numerous guests and employees say he's still there. Look to the second story of Napoleon House at night and you may just catch the shade of a Civil War soldier dressed in gray. There's a famous hoax associated with this legend, and it's best just to get it out of the way right at the beginning. Harlan Ford and Billy Mills came out of the Honey Island Swamp in 1974 with large tracks they'd casted while out on a hunting trip. The tracks weren't that big, but they were four-toed and, and on a webbed foot. A decade before they produced those tracks, the two hunters said they'd encountered a large creature in the swamp. It was about seven feet tall, they said, with grayish hair all over its body and large, amber eyes. But the creature got away, they said, and in rain washed away its footprints. Ford passed away in 1980, and it's said that his widow discovered a reel of Super 8 film among his things. On that jumpy, grainy tape was a hulking, dark figure standing on two legs, maybe seven feet tall. The figure moves in and out of a tree line, leaving it mostly obscure. Researchers got the film and studied it. They found the production a bit suspicious. First off, you couldn't see much of the thing in the film, and the beginning and the end of the film was missing. Researchers headed back to Louisiana in search of the monster once again, but what they found were stories of a hoax and that no one who lived around Honey Island Swamp ever really believed in the hunter's tale. Then, in 2011, a pair of shoes were discovered buried, buried in the mud around a hunting camp. The shoes were four-toed with webbed feet. But none of this has stopped Ford's granddaughter, Dana Holyfield, from making a documentary called The Legend of the Honey Island Swamp Monster, and then appearing on shows like Mysteries at the Museum, Fact or Faked, Swamp People, and more. But many of the tales I've heard about the Honey Island Swamp Monster ain't about Ford's made-up creature. It ain't some humanoid-alligator hybrid. In fact, the monster I've heard described are more along the lines of the ones described in Dana Holyfield's documentary. That creature is basically a Bigfoot living in the swamp, much like Arkansas's Falk monster. It's tall and covered in dark hair and comes complete with that trademark odor guaranteed to make a skunk gag. The men in Holyfield's documentary aren't acting, and they ain't making it up. They're the Cajun versions of the good old boys I grew up with. And while a tall tale can come easy with a beer in your hand, everything changes when a video camera comes on. Here's what some of them say. 
I thought it was a dog, one man says, and then it stood up. Then I turned on my flashlight on them and, and seen them footprints, and I thought, oh, shoot, them ain't human, another man said. But he didn't say shoot. That thing was big enough to come into this camp and tear everything up, says another man. I didn't know if it was man or beast, but I'd never seen anything like it before. The Honey Island Swamp is about an hour north of New Orleans, close to the Mississippi border. It's close enough that about a half dozen companies run tourists from the French Quarter to the swamp every day. And Honey Island couldn't be more different than Bourbon Street. There, the knees of bald cypress trees gnarl up out of that muddy water. And Spanish moss hangs in the tops of those cypress and wild tupelo trees hanging and swaying like a massive ghost. Wild boar and alligators swim right up to tour boats looking for a bite to eat. And at times duckweed lays on top of that water spreading among the trees and undergrowth like a, an unbelievably green carpet. By day, it's easy to admit to yourself that something wild and beyond our knowledge could live and thrive in such a, a dense and unknowable place. By night, that idle curiosity about such things amps up into full-blown nightmare fuel. No matter what evidence has ever been found of any hoax, the legend of the Honey Island Swamp Monster will always be that of a figure seven feet tall. It'll have that massive and hair-covered body of a man and feet like an alligator and those strange yellow eyes. Listen to such a tale long enough and you might get the monster's origin story. You see, a, a circus train was, was heading to New Orleans, but it crashed. And when it did, an ape escaped into the swamp and there it, well, it mated with an alligator and ta-da, Honey Island Swamp Monster. He loved jazz, apparently. It was maybe something he'd fallen in love with in New Orleans. Maybe he took it back home with him, back to Tartarus, wherever that is. No one else ever knew either. But he didn't come to New Orleans to tool around Jackson Square or to eat a bowl of gumbo. He came to kill. And that's just what he did for two years. He'd sneak into the city, usually into a grocery store owned by Italians, and he'd find his prey. He'd go around to the back door and, and use a chisel to remove a panel. He'd slip inside and, and leave the panel and the chisel on the floor. Then he'd prowl around the house until he found a, a straight razor, or, or preferably an axe. And that's how he got his name, the Axe Man. He'd find his victim and brutalize him, usually with their own axe. The killing spree began mysteriously in, in May 1918. The killer eluded police with the only piece of evidence really being that the killer targeted Italian families. The attacks were clearly racially motivated, but while some claimed them to be the work of the Mafia, police believed they were, in fact, just the work of a, a fiend. 
That's how New Orleans Police Superintendent Frank Mooney put it at the time. He said the killer had a Jekyll and Hyde type personality, like Jack the Ripper. And suddenly the impulse to kill comes upon him and, and he must obey it. The Axeman continued his bloody work. He even crossed over the Mississippi River to Gretna. And there, he badly injured a man named Charlie Cordemilla and his wife Rose, and he killed their two-year-old daughter. After this, the Axeman seemed to vanish, but not before pinning a famous note to the city that is so wild that I'm just going to read it right here in full. Hell, March 13, 1919 esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a, a human being, but a, a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with the blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way that they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise and, and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a horrible murderer, which I, I am. But I could be so much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the neither regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night if there be any, we'll get the axe. 
Well, as I am cold and, and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman And as the story goes, New Orleans perfectly pulsed with jazz that night. And the Axeman took not one more soul. When the French came to Louisiana, they brought their culture with them. And much of that still lingers in the food and the language and the architecture and more. But the French also brought a werewolf with them. They call him the Lugaru, or Wolfman. The Lugaru was a, a terror on the edge of French towns and villages for centuries. Unexplained deaths of people and animals were, were blamed on the Lugaru. In fact, the beast was the scapegoat for much of whatever French villagers couldn't explain. So, when those boats docked in New Orleans, the Lugaru got right off with those brand new Americans. And the beast became a bit more American too. By the time uh, America had turned those French and French Canadians into Cajuns, the Lugaru became the Rougarou. In the Cajun legends, the creature is said to prowl the swamps around Acadiana and Greater New Orleans and the, and the sugarcane fields and woodlands of the region. The Rougarou most often is described as a creature with a human body and the head of a wolf or a dog. Tales of the Rougarou has inspired fear and maybe obedience into an unknown number of Cajun children. The Rougarou is also said to hunt down and kill Catholics who don't follow the rules of Lent for seven years in a row. One legend says the Rougarou is a person under a spell for 101 days. After that, the spell is broken when he bites and draws blood from another human. Then that person, of course, is cursed to become a Rougarou. If you want to see a Rougarou, head to New Orleans. The creature, or a, a mock-up of the creature, is on display at the Audubon Zoo. The creature stands at least seven feet tall with sharp claws at the end of long fingers stretched out to nab its next victim. Wild eyes display over a snout filled with razor-sharp teeth. Real or not, the Rougarou at the zoo is terrifying even more so at night when they bathe the entire exhibit in a blood-red light. The Rougarou legend is strong in southern Louisiana. Consider that back when the New Orleans Hornets were looking for a new team name, they trademarked the Rougarous. Alright, if it ain't plain, I love Louisiana, especially New Orleans. The city is old, stately, quirky, fun-loving, and proud of it all. But it does it all with a sort of underbelly of the macabre. And it's proud of that, too. I am so glad I was able to take y'all along with me. Get to New Orleans sometime soon. Alright, my name is Toby Sells. 
I'll see y'all back here in two weeks with more Haint Blues.